together again this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. That was the passage read for us. If you are new, you don't have a Bible, I think we can put the reference up on the screen. Maybe Ethan can help us with that. Uh, but if you do, uh, read along in your own Bible. I think that's really good and helpful to be able to do that. <clears throat> in 2017, one famous Indian actor and politician, Shatrugan Sinha, you know him? Watched his films? Yeah? Well, he tweeted on Good Friday, and this is what he said, to all my Christian friends, we love you. Don't despair. Jesus shall rise again. I'm sure he meant well. But there was an important point that he got wrong. Because Jesus has already risen. On the third day, he rose again. He died and death has no mastery over him. No command over him. No authority over him. Because he is life and he rose again on the third day. What an amazing truth it is that we celebrate. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most significant event in the history of mankind. After the Second World War in which millions of people died, Konrad Adenauer, who became the new uh, Chancellor of Germany, was speaking to a young uh, preacher. His name was Billy Graham. And as he was talking to him, he was looking over the ruins of Berlin. And here's what he said to Billy Graham. He says, outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know of no hope for mankind. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know of no hope for mankind. What a truth that is. Sadly though, throughout history, there have been attempts to disprove the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Even in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, the Gospel writer, records one of those attempts when the religious leaders decided, you know, the, the body was missing. They didn't know. They had to find a way to answer that. And so they bribed the Roman guards and they said, tell everybody that the body was stolen, that the disciples came and stole the body. And if this gets to the ears of the governor, we will satisfy him in some way. Don't worry. And it tells us in Matthew that that story began to circulate around at that time. Now that's a bizarre story in and of itself. Because the Roman soldiers were a crack team. You know, they were highly trained soldiers. And they, some scholars think there were probably about 10 soldiers, maybe more, standing outside of that grave, protecting it, guarding it. And these were men who you couldn't get past. Now here's what's interesting. What the story was that they were trying to circulate was that this band of disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, Two days ago, left Jesus in the night and ran away from the temple guards, not even the Roman guards. Now suddenly, these guys are going to get some courage and come and face these Roman guards, overpower them, roll that mighty stone away and carry Jesus away. And then tell everybody that he rose again. You see how bizarre that is? I mean, even that story in and of itself is so strange, it's so bizarre. But what saddens me is the extent of the hardness of the human heart that we're willing to manufacture stories to disprove what is historically factual about what God has done 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, I was thinking of doing a sermon on the proofs of the resurrection, and maybe I'll do that at some point, but it is overwhelming just from the pages of scripture. It's overwhelming what the Bible has to say about the certainty of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll make reference to a couple of others as we go along this morning. Now in the text that we're looking at this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to talk about why the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely crucial to our faith. It's fundamental to our faith. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are a believer in that sense, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what your faith stands or falls on if it isn't true. And so it's absolutely fundamental. In fact, if Jesus died and didn't rise again, everything would fall apart. This, more than Christmas, is the most important day for believers. That Jesus defeated death and he rose again. And if you come to Corinthians and you read the first part of it, you know, it says that there were some people in the church that were wondering about the resurrection of the dead. And maybe they lost loved ones and they were thinking, what happens after we die? Where do these people go? And so there was, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is going to address that, that concern about what happens to us after we die. And I think that's an important question. And different philosophies and ideologies and faiths answer it in different ways. Or at least try to answer it. But what about you? Have you thought about it? What happens to you after you die? Is there life after death? Is there more to our existence than the 70 or 80 years we might somehow push through? What happens after we die? And if you're honest about it, every human being thinks about it. Every human being deals with that question. And some of us will dig deeper to answer it and some of us will drink to drown our sorrows because we have no clue. And it leaves us empty. But it's a question that every human being battles with and wrestles with. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in man's heart. It's in there. That longing and that desire to live forever, we just don't know where to find the answer. But it's there. And hopefully as we go through this message this morning for the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to see that the answer is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul is going to argue for the resurrection of Christ. He's going to sort of prove the resurrection of Christ in two ways. That's what he's going to do. All right, Let me quickly touch on the first one and then we'll jump into the second one. The first thing that he does is to show, uh, to prove the resurrection of Jesus is to talk about two witnesses to the resurrection. The first one is, and you can see this in verse 4 of chapter 15, that he was buried, speaking about Jesus, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the first witness, probably the most important witness, the word of God. That's the first witness. And, you know, this is a historical book. As much as it's a theological book, my goodness, what a historical book this is. How much information we have of thousands of years in the past that scholars, believers, and everybody else looks at the Bible for. And the scriptures are the first witness to the, test, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The second witness to the resurrection of Christ is the disciples. Cephas, Peter. Actually, before Peter, who were the witnesses to the resurrection? Yes, Mary, Mary Magdalene, and one more, Salome, right? They were there, they saw, and they were the first witnesses to the, and by the way, let me just say this. The very fact that the Gospels record women as the first witnesses to the resurrection of Christ is evidence or in and of itself that there's something true about this. You wouldn't use women as witnesses if you wanted to make a case normally. It didn't work in that day and age. Maybe it's different now, hopefully. But it didn't work then. And so the very, very fact that that was recorded, that women were the first witnesses, shows us that there's something true about this. It's too strange to be recorded. You got that? You like that? That's true, isn't it? But then after that, uh, Pete, uh, Paul records for us that they were the disciples, they were the Cephas, the 11 other disciples, and then he says there were 500 other witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus, after he rose again, spent 40 days before he ascended to the right hand of his Father in the heavens. But before that happened, 500 people saw him, flesh and blood, standing there. They probably spoke to him. They had an opportunity to touch him and feel that he was real. 500 witnesses. Some people think, you know, that maybe the disciples were hallucinating. They were all just having this crazy hallucination because they loved Jesus so much. Maybe one or two, but not 500. That's unheard of. And I love that that small little detail, one verse, records for us that there were 500 witnesses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there you have these two. You have the witness of scripture and you have the witness of the first believers, the disciples and the 500 other witnesses that can testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Now the second way that Paul argues for the resurrection of Christ is to show us, and he kind of goes the other way, to show us the futility of life and of faith if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. So one is the positive sort of weaknesses, but the other way is to say, hey, let's, for the sake of argument, say Jesus didn't rise from the dead. What difference would it make? Have you thought about that? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what difference would it make to your life? I hope it would make a difference. I hope it would make a, a black and white difference like Ravi talked about. That it's just, life wouldn't be the same. And that's what Paul is going to do uh, in, in talking about this. Now, just a couple of references here. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32, he says this, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's an that's a existential way of living, and a lot of people still think that way. Right? If there's no resurrection from the dead. Or then in 1 first, in first Corinthians 15, 14 and 17, and these are the two references we're going to kind of work through. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then, you are, then your faith is futile, you are dead in your sins, and so on and so forth. We want to look at four of the ways in which there is an effect if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Alright, so let me jump into those. And we have a little bit of time, and I know we've got another song to sing, and you are waiting for the refreshments. 
and everybody's looking so beautiful, so you want to take photographs as well. But let's focus, all right? Just a few minutes more, and I want to show you these four uh, ways in which Paul argues. The first is that if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is in vain. That's what he says. And look at this. He says this in verse 14, right? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Let's stop there. It's futile. It's empty. It's hollow. There's no point preaching. What exactly is preaching? Well, preaching is the proclamation of the word of God. That's what we're doing right now. It's the proclamation of the word of God. Now, Paul is saying here is that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then what we're doing now, taking up the word of God, preaching it, listening to it, is futile. It makes no sense for you to listen to this book if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. You see that? You see the impact and the effect that the resurrection has on the Bible. The Bible. What we hold as the word of God is worthy of, of listening to, of following, of obeying because Jesus rose from the dead. Because he rose from the dead. Now, why do we say it that way? Well, because the Bible is full of scripture that tells us that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Take, go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, and I'm, I'm, I don't have the reference, so don't worry about it, but Isaiah 53 speaks about the suffering servant, and then it speaks about his resurrection as well. In the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus. But not just that, there are many other references, and even from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, before he died, he said this, John 17, 22 and 23, he says, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day before he died. You know, when someone says something that comes to pass, they become a credible person, isn't it? They've said something and it happens. There's some credibility to what they have said. And when Jesus foretells his resurrection and it comes to pass, he becomes credible and he speaks the word of God. The scriptures are the word of God. And God has said what he will accomplish through his son and everything comes to pass. It comes to pass. And the most powerful miracle among all of those things is the resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul is saying, if he didn't rise from the dead, this is nothing. But he did in fact rise from the dead. And therefore, you and I, we hold the most precious book ever. The, the very word of God. That we can believe and hold fast to for our very life. Because everything God said, he accomplished Everything Jesus said, he accomplished. And there's still more to come. There's still more to come. You want to know the big questions of life? Go to the Bible, the word of God. All right, let's come to the second one. If Christ has not been raised, and again, in verse 14, he says, our faith is in vain. Come down to verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Again, 
same idea, empty, hollow, it's futile, your faith. You know, we have believed in vain if Christ has not been raised. We put our trust and confidence in someone who cannot deliver. That's basically what faith is when we express trust and confidence in something or someone. Now listen to this carefully. Your, your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. It can't be better than that. It's only as good as the object in which you place it. You know, I remember when our kids were a lot, lot younger, <clears throat> they used to feel a lot of confidence in my strong arms. You know, they could run and jump off something and they know dad would catch them. You know, and there was that, that, that sense of faith that they had in me, that trust, that confidence that I wouldn't drop them. So I could throw them up and they would land in my arms. Times have changed. They're teenagers now. They don't have that faith and confidence anymore. And it's a good thing. Because the object of their faith cannot handle what they're asking of it. You get the point? I can't. I have no ability to do what I could do at that point. I'm limited. And we do this in our relationships. All of us exercise faith and trust in our relationships. But it is limited to the capacity and the ability of the other person. It cannot go beyond them. It doesn't matter what you believe. My kids can't say, Dad, we believe you can do it. It won't work. It won't work. Because your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. Now those are small things, relationships and all of it. When it comes to the ultimate things of life, the big things, origin, purpose, meaning, morality, destiny, massive building blocks of our life. And like Ravi was sharing with us, he struggled with the big questions of life. When it comes to those things, who do you trust in? Who do you go to? Who do you actually go to to get answers for those things? And I'll tell you, you will never find it in people. You'll never find it in this world and the things of this world. That satisfaction, that contentment, that sense of purpose and meaning cannot be found in this world. You have to go to God. And God has said, come to me through Jesus. Because I'll give you free access through Jesus. Come to me and I will show you all of these things of life. Amazing, isn't it? And so if Christ didn't rise from the dead, he doesn't become a trustworthy person or object of our faith. It's straightforward because he's been defeated by death. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and therefore becomes an absolutely reliable and trustworthy person for us to hold on to for the massive things of life and not just those, even the little things of life. He walks with you and he walks with me. It's amazing, isn't it? I love that. And so if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. But in fact, Christ has been raised and therefore our faith in him is not in vain. Let's come to the third one. If Christ has not been raised, then the weakness of the disciples is a lie. 
the weakness of the disciples is a lie or the foundation of the Christian faith is a lie. It's a hoax if Christ has not been raised. And Paul says this in verse 15. Look at what he says. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. We're telling a lie. We're misrepresenting God. And Paul is specifically talking about himself and the other apostles. We who saw the resurrected Jesus, or at least made up that whole thing, are telling you a lie. It's a misrepresentation of God. What he means by this is that those who proclaim that Jesus is raised from the dead are actually found to be misrepresenting God. Now all Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's right at the heart of our faith. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then every Christian over the last 2,000 years has believed a lie and continues to proclaim a lie. Now, let's dig into this a little bit, all right? What do we do with this? Let me just uh, say this, right? It's one thing to lie in order to gain some benefit. You told a lie? For some benefit, don't raise your hands. I know some of you will do two hands. No, no, we're not asking that. It's, not, it's just a rhetorical question. So I might lie if it saves me a lot of trouble. Or I might lie to get my license early. Or I might lie to get a train ticket in the peak season of travel. Or I might lie to get admission for my child in a certain school. And that kind of lie makes sense. I'm not saying it's right. Please don't go back and say, pastor said it's fine. No, no, we're not saying it's right, but it makes sense because you're getting some benefit from it. However, lying when you do not stand to benefit anything makes no sense at all. I know you're scratching your head. Where is he going with this thing, right? Lying to lose something, even your life, makes no sense at all. Were the earliest witnesses, we've talked about them, the earliest witnesses of the resurrection, were they lying or misrepresenting God about the resurrection of Jesus? John Piper says this, he says, people will often die for a lie that they believe is the truth. Got that? They'll often die for what they believe is the truth, for a lie that they believe is the truth. But if Jesus did not rise, the disciples knew it. Let's say they stole his body as the religious leaders said and they hid it off somewhere else. And then they cooked up a story of the resurrection. Now, did they know that he rose or not? He didn't, right? They took his body. Let's, let's continue over here. He says, uh, but if Jesus did not rise, the disciples knew it. Thus, they wouldn't have just been dying for a lie that they mistakenly believed was true. They would have been dying for a lie that they knew was a lie. It doesn't make sense. Ten people, speaking about those ten disciples that we know of in history, ten people would not, would not all give their lives for something they know to be a lie. And ten of these disciples, we know for a fact, were killed for speaking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when they were you know, threatened to recant, to change their account, they said, no, this is the truth. 
We've seen it with our own eyes. We've touched him. We've felt him. We ate with him. We walked with him. Those 40 days, he was right there with us. It is the truth. And that's why we tell it. It's not a lie. It's not a lie. It wasn't a lie. It wasn't a hoax. Christ did indeed rise from the dead. Our faith is based on the credible witness of the word of God that records the words of these first witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not misrepresenting God. And I tell you, through the history of the church, Christians have gone all over the world, not because we're better than anybody else, we're more messed up even, but we've told the truth about life. We've told the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not for our own benefit, for the benefit of those who hear, so that they also may know life and have it abundantly. It's about being truthful. It's being truthful about God to speak about the resurrection of Jesus. Let's come to the fourth one. If Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sins. We're still in our sins. Come with me to verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, we talked about that, and you are still in your sins. Now this is where it really hits home. Because it's our sin that separates us from a holy God, perfectly holy, righteous God. And our sin separates us from Him. We're under the righteous condemnation of God for our sin. And that's true. The Bible says that any good judge would judge sin. God is perfect and holy in all his ways. You'd expect him to judge sin. And all of us are under that judgment of God. And there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. Not good works, not religion, not education, nothing we can do to save ourselves. Moreover, the devil uses guilt and shame as powerful weapons over us to keep us from God. Or like Adam and Eve, he continually tempts people, enticing them with the attractiveness of sin and of the world to keep them away from God. When Christ came proclaiming himself as the savior of the world, the devil sought to defeat him. Remember the temptations in the wilderness for a start, right? 40 days Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil tempted him. And then the cross, I think for, from the perspective of the devil, it was meant to be the final nail in the coffin of this person, Jesus Christ. He thought he won. Now I've told this story before, but for the benefit of those who haven't heard it, I'll tell it again. And if you have, you can still enjoy it, all right? A story is told of the Battle of Waterloo. I love this story. It goes really well with this, all right? The Battle of Waterloo between the French forces of Napoleon and the English forces of Wellington. And they were, this is a famous battle, they were locked in battle, and people in both countries were waiting for news from the battlefield. In those days, they had a signaling system, and the signal would be sent from one tower to the next to the next, and it was not the best, but it worked. And the signal would go and get back from the battlefield to the people in those countries. And all of England was waiting for news from the battlefield. Finally, the first cable arrived. The news arrived from the battlefield. And it said this, Wellington defeated. 
all of England was plunged into despair and grief and mourning and sorrow because Wellington was defeated. But a short while later, a correction cable came because their signaling system was messed up. So the correction cable came a short while later and it said this, it said, Wellington defeated Napoleon. That was a correction that came. And you can imagine the grief turning to joy and happiness because the news was complete now. We won the war. And I've always liked that story because it's a great analogy for what happened when Christ went to the cross. The first cable that arrived on Friday, what did it say? Christ defeated. And we know from the scriptures that there was great sorrow amongst the disciples and grief and loss and fear there was. But there was also probably great rejoicing amongst Satan and his demons that they had won the war. We won this victory. We've finished this off completely. But then on Sunday, a correction cable arrived. And what did it say? Christ defeated Satan and sin and death. Amazing, isn't it? The correction cable came. What a powerful turn of events. Jesus died on the cross to take away the condemnation of God that is against us for our sins and to defeat the devil and destroy his power over people. Let me read a couple of verses to you. 1 John 3, 5, it says, You know, speaking of us about Christ, you know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Or 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to defeat the, destroy the works of the devil. That's what he came for, to do that. The resurrection of Jesus proves that his sacrifice on the cross was accepted by God. He, was, he didn't die for his own sin. He had no sin. But he was able to die for our sin. And once that was paid for with the words, it is finished, Brother John spoke to us on Good Friday, it is finished, the debt is paid. Jesus was able to close out that moment on the cross, speaking to his father again. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. And he went to the grave. And he rose on the third day because death has no mastery over him. No mastery over him. His sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, was accepted by God. And because he rose again, we are forgiven of our sins and we're set free. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is fundamental to our salvation. There you have it. The resurrection of Jesus confirms the truthfulness of God's word, the reasonableness of our faith, the weakness of the church and of the early uh, weaknesses of Christ and of our salvation from God's righteous judgment for sin and the power of the devil. Praise God. Praise God for the resurrection of Christ. And for those of you who are hearing it for the first time, oh man, we're so happy you're here. But this is, this is good news for you. It benefits us, no, nothing. But it's good news for you. If you ask those big questions, come to Jesus. 
Because he has the answers and he has life to give us. Romans 10, 9, and I'll finish this one verse. And he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Amen. Let me give you a moment of quietness and I'll ask the team to come up. We're going to sing a closing song uh, that speaks of the worthiness and the holiness of this God that we worship. But I want to give you a moment to just quietly pray in your hearts and to give thanks to God for this gift of life that we have in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word this morning. And I believe, Lord, that you've spoken to us. And each one of us, in some particular way, with something specific that you wanted to say to us. Help us, Lord, to go away with thankfulness in our hearts and with an abiding, steadfast faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we give thanks to you. Amen.